For too long, the fertility market has been bewildering, overwhelming, and frankly, I think has downright ignored the needs and difficult experiences of the people they're supposed to be serving. Ovum has made it their mission to change this completely. Now, I am extremely choosy about who I promote on this podcast because I'm very protective of my listeners and audience, which is why you've probably only ever heard one spoken ad like this before. So it's with complete confidence, excitement and pride that I can share this amazing company with you. Ovum care about you, truly. From creating products to support conception and fertility that are designed by doctors and backed by the latest science without cutting any corners, from adding access to meditations I've personally written and recorded inside their pregnancy test boxes, Ovum is founded by individuals who've navigated infertility themselves. I really couldn't be more proud to partner with them and tell you about them. Ovum is driven by the belief that everyone who is trying to conceive deserves better, and I am 100% behind this ethos. So head over to startwithovum.com and use code LIFERAFT10 for 10% off their tests and supplements. Hello, welcome back to Fertility Life Raft. I'm very honoured, and that is, I really mean that, I'm very honoured to bring you quite a special bumper episode this, this week with three women who gave me their time. Nicole Valentinuzzi, who at the time we spoke had just recently made the decision to try for a baby on her own. Jocelyn Bell, who has been trying to conceive by herself for the last four years. And finally, Mel Johnson, who is a solo mum to her little girl Daisy after going through IVF by herself and who now runs a coaching business, The Stork and I, to help other women who might be considering this step. And I'm putting this out this week because I wanted to respond to an article which came out everywhere just last week to say that uh, the NHS in South East London has banned single women from accessing IVF in their clinics. And the research, I say this in quotation marks, the research that they quoted to back up this decision seemed to be so wildly outdated and generalised with one of the quotes saying that single mothers are a burden on society. I really hope that the conversations I'm sharing in this episode will just actually just serve as a reminder that anyone who decides to embark on this kind of treatment because of how much they want a child is really very often someone who is an incredibly strong, giving and productive member of society, not a burden. And I, I'm I'm not a single mother, I wasn't raised by one, but I just felt so outraged by the comments made in this article that I wanted to respond in the best way that I could. Before I get into that, I just have to give a quick mention to everyone coming to our event this weekend in London. If you don't know, I co-host live events with my business partner Kat at catanalis.com and we are beyond excited to welcome nearly 100 people. So it's our biggest event yet. Um, It's sold out to listen to our absolutely amazing speakers that we have coming, eat a delicious lunch, meet other people going through the same thing. There'll be a book swap, there'll be a raffle with some really, really amazing prizes. There'll be all kinds of little touches that we've really thought about. And But if you're not coming live, then you can follow along over at It's Cat Alice on Instagram 
where we'll be sharing snippets of the day and there will be an Insta Live as well. So definitely come on over and join us for that. And I just have to read this review out because it actually made me well up. Um, it's from the hopeful GM and she says, I am using your wonderful podcasts to educate myself to be the best support I can be to my beloved daughter and her husband. This isn't about me and my perspective, it's about them. Everyone would assume I would be in an ideal position to support them as a mother, a midwife and a birth trauma treatment practitioner, but I find myself on the other side now and helpless to help those closest to me. It has been a revelatory, not in a good way, to realise that even though I know people in the field, the bewilderment is the same, the odds are the same, the questions are the same. Knowing all the while that I am a potential anxiety trigger for her, I am a mother, I look after pregnant women and I treat mothers and fathers who have had trauma around birth, miscarriage, loss and infertility. So I've been listening, reading, learning, learning how to be, what kind of support I can best offer, with enormous thanks for this fabulous resource, a mum. Oh, I, there was something about this review that just really got to me. I think it was the, you know, I really felt like I could understand from her words how how much she really wanted to be there for her daughter. And what was even more amazing was that I actually shared this on Instagram and then her daughter also messaged me and said that this was her mum and she hadn't even realised she was listening to the podcast in order to try and support her. Yeah, just thinking about that makes me feel quite emotional. So over to my three amazing ladies now. So Nicole Valentinuzzi is the first voice you'll hear. I'm not going to talk in between these women because I'll just take up valuable listening space. Um, so they're just going to go one into another. The next is Jocelyn and finally it's Mel. Sitting here in the Institute for Government. Yes, in the bowels of the building. <laughs> Thank you for having me into your office on this wet and blustery day. Why don't you tell me a little bit, tell the listeners who you are, what you do and what's happening in your, in your real life as well. So, um, my name is Nicole. I am a 36-year-old woman, uh, Caucasian. Um, <laughs> I am the Director of Communications and Marketing at uh, this think tank where we are, the Institute for Government. I have been living in the UK for 13 years, and I've been working in Westminster for that entire time. So this is very much my career and has been the singular focus of my existence until until something switched in my mind, I guess. And I'm originally from Canada. It is a, a big job, it's a demanding job, and it doesn't allow a lot of time for and space outside of work, but I try to balance that with... I'm also a Pilates instructor. So, um, and I teach Pilates around Westminster. So I've managed to combine both of those things. But basically I'm, a, I'm an insanely busy person and that's kind of just always the way that I've lived my life. So the reason that we're talking is because we have lots of mutual friends in common yeah. and we've spent time together at festivals <laughs> and other stuff. So that's like a shared yeah. interest that we have um, outside of this incredibly busy life that you lead. Mm -hmm. But I was just so kind of drawn to speak to you because we were at a friend's cabaret yep. evening, <laughs> political feminist yep. <laughs> cabaret evening, which was amazing. And and you just started talking about the fact that you are going to go and try and have a baby on your own. Yes. It's a massive decision to have a baby. Mm. And then it's another 
mindful when you actually realize you've got to go through fertility treatment in order to do that yeah I was in a relationship for a long time and exactly a year ago that night when we were at the cabaret that was pretty much almost exactly a year we decided to split up and there's no hard feelings there's no animosity there uh just it didn't work out and in my heart of hearts I knew why although it took me a year to be able to really get to the heart of that issue and that reason was because I knew that I wanted to be a mother and it kind of was this feeling it's a I, I always knew vaguely in the back of my mind that I would want to be a mother but it seemed like something that was far away something that I didn't need to concern myself with or and then in the past couple of years, it's been a, a louder and louder voice. I'm not even going to say in my head, more like coming from my ovaries. I don't know. Um, <laughs> coming from my womb. So yeah, so it, it unfortunately, my relationship didn't work out. And I kind of found myself 35, single, and freaking out. Um, because it's when you suddenly have the absence of that as an option, that's when it comes into sharp focus. So I spent a year, you know, dating different types of guys and I kind of reached a point where, you know, I didn't want to just date a guy because I wanted to have a child with him. It's the most bizarre way to interact with another human being to start on a basis of, I need to have a kid. This is what I want. I, you know, everything else is secondary. So I found myself in October in Italy. I'd come off the back of a really intense time at work and I was in Italy. And uh, so this is the moment where it just all became very clear to me. And it's kind of a, a, an odd, mystical, you know, divine feminine type thing. But there, yeah, that's what it is. And uh, I was with my family and they're in rural Italy very kind of you know farmers it's not exactly the most progressive environment for women and I have two female cousins that are my age and I saw the way that they interacted with their they're not husbands they're baby daddies uh, and they were just so useless these men and my cousins were both you know so concerned for me Say like, you know, why did you, why have you split up from your boyfriend? What are you going to do? How are you going to have a baby? And I was kind of like, wait, what? Did I, was that it? Was that my only chance? And if that was it and I did it, would I then end up with this kind of, you know, morose looking man at the end of my table? Like, no, that's not what I want. And you know, God bless my cousins, they have, unfortunately for them, have grown up in an environment where that was the only option available to them. And so later that night, I was, so this is like after we've eaten all the food and, you know, had all the wine and everything. And I was standing, like, you know, actually barefoot in, like, my feet in my, like, ancestor soil kind of squelching around in the mud and smoking a cigarette. And I was just looking like out over this beautiful, like expansive land. And it, I kind of, it just dawned on me, like 
how did I never see this answer right in front of my face, like my hand is as clear as the hand in front of my face, that I just needed to do it on my own. And there is, there, there's no other option for me because this is what I need to feel, uh, I'm not gonna say complete or whole or anything like that. This is what I need to feel content. And you know, this is what, this is what my, the women who I know, who I come from, this is what we do. And if I don't do this, I will be dissatisfied. Um, so I, you know, and, and, and I have worked my ass off to get to where I am. And I have been in control of every aspect of my life, up, except for this huge thing that has always been gifted to somebody else. It's somebody else's, like, you know, it's the man who's going to come and give me this child. No, no. It, like, I actually have the resources, I have the wherewithal, and I have the support to do it myself in the same way that I've done everything else myself. And it's, uh, it's really interesting because the second that kind of like clarity came and I came back to London and I genuinely, I felt like the fog or whatever of the past year or the kind of like maniacal searching for a man to have a baby with thing, it just lifted and I felt so relieved that I had taken back control oh to use that terrible phrase mm-hmm. of my own fertility and my own existence as a woman and this is before even then starting out on any of the actual journey but just making that decision changed my complete mindset so empowering yeah, yeah. it was it was it, it was just really weird because I was like why did I never think of that why did it never occur to me and there were a few like stories I'd hear about women doing this but not really mm-hmm. uh, and since I've started talking about it I can't tell you the amount of women our age our friends that have like turned around and said god I want to do that too that's amazing um you know so so that's that, and that's why also I wanted to talk about it in this way because um I just, there is still a stigma associated with it. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, all of my friends are very supportive and, you know, I'll be there for you and all the rest of it. And actually, funnily enough, none of them are very surprised. They're like, <laughs> oh, well, of course you are going to end up doing it on your own. And I'm sure my ex will not be surprised when he hears that either because it's, it, it, that's my personality and that's a way of always kind of like bulldoze through life well you know I'm one of these typical women who put their career first and put off having a baby (laughs) I'm not really (laughs) do you feel like do you feel like you get that judgment on you sometimes Um, from like the wider world I think that I think that is typically the well that's the stereotype definitely um that uh that yeah, you were so busy with your career that you just didn't didn't get around to having a baby or finding a man. So um, yeah, I do, I have found that a little bit um, 
but yeah, I don't, I don't believe that to be true. And I actually don't believe it to be true of most of the women that I've met who are in similar positions. It's not a conscious choice of having put a career first or, or made one decision over another. It's just more circumstantial the way things have, have panned out. Well, it's just that you're living your life in the best way you know how yeah. and you're doing well at your job and it's, that's just what's happened, right? Yeah, life, I think, just took a slightly different path than I had thought it was going to. Um, I had been in relationships all through my teens and 20s and then in my 30s I wasn't. Um, and that was really when things, yeah, things sort of started to... Uh, pan out slightly differently than I think I, I thought they were going to. At what point was it where you were like, ooh? <laughs> <laughs> um, There's a little alarm I want to yeah. do something about this. Like when, how, yeah. when, what, when um, did that happen? I was, I was in my 30s. I think that the, the point where I really thought about it seriously was, I guess I came to my mid-late 30s. And that was the point where I started thinking about egg freezing because that's the sort of, that's what modern women do, freeze their eggs and preserve their fertility. So I think I was 30, 35, 36 when I went to my very first appointment with a fertility consultant to look at freezing my eggs. Um, and that was the point where, <laughs> well, Huge alarm bells started ringing at that point because the results that I had from those early fertility tests were not at all what I had expected. Mm. And my um, fertility levels, particularly my ovarian reserve, were much, much lower than even the, the, the average for my age. And uh, that was, yeah, that was the... Uh, of everything that's happened, I think that was the worst bit. <laughs> that, that initial shock. Yeah. Because I just hadn't thought for a second that, that my fertility would not be anything other than average. Um, and, uh, yeah, that, that, was, that was really shocking. How did you find out? Did they send a letter or was it a phone call? Uh, no, I had, I had a face-to-face -face consultation, I think, to go through the blood test that I'd had. Uh, so I was sat with a doctor... And she, I remember it very clearly, she looked at my results and she said, to be honest, we would expect to see these results in a woman 10 years older than you. <laughs> like, oh, oh. Um, Were you by yourself in that point? Uh, yes, I was at that point. Yes, yeah. And, and obviously that was when I, I began to realise, well, at that point I was, I was shocked by it and, and I thought, I'm never going to be able to have a baby. Um, but, yeah, that was definitely the point where having a baby began to look much more difficult than I had thought it was going to be. Mm. But I suppose... I mean, I definitely don't want to say at least. But <laughs> it's amazing that you were so proactive at that age. Well, and... yes, the, the, there, was, there was at least that. You're, you're absolutely right. Um, I mean, I wish I had known sooner, but, but I did know at that point. I think that, that, that did very much lead to me making the decision to try not only to freeze my eggs, but then ultimately to, to try for a baby. Uh, yeah, I did get to that point, I think, quicker than I might have done otherwise. I did, after I think a month or two, decide to go ahead and try egg freezing. Uh, I'd been told that I might not respond very well because of this, this low ovarian reserve, and the first cycle I did try with that was abandoned uh, due to poor response. But I switched clinics, and I did go through two cycles of egg freezing, which were reasonably successful. 
So I'd banked some eggs. I hit my 38th birthday. That was when I decided. I'd, I'd been umming and ahhing about whether or not to do another cycle for freezing. My heart wasn't in it because I was edging towards this decision of, do you know what, I'm just going to go for it. I'm just going to go, yeah. <laughs> go for the baby. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> Stop mucking about with freezing eggs and, and, and have a go. Um, but that was that was a, a, a long process. I mean, by that point, I'd been going through this this process of thinking about my fertility and trying to preserve my fertility for a couple of years by that point. And when I'd started on that, that process, I... I hadn't thought that I would make the decision to have a baby by myself but things change <laughs> so I guess in a way it was, it was so you you got to the point where you're like right I'm gonna do this I'm mm. gonna try and have one by mm-hmm. myself and you already had the knowledge mm-hmm. of where you were at you already had some yeah. eggs frozen yes. so you were almost you were quite empowered in a way at that point yeah I yeah. suppose yeah but I guess that didn't really make it any easier going into um the treatment no, I mean, I, you're right, I had thought I had gone some way to making that a successful process by going through the, the egg freezing. As it happened, the egg freezing was a total waste of time because none of those eggs survived the thaw. Oh, um, no. I know, <laughs> when we came to use them, um, they were they were not good. Um, so God, that, that was probably been, the second that, worst bit. Yeah, my God, I was going to say, God, that must have been crushing. Yeah, that was absolutely gutting the next step is obviously donor sperm mm-hmm. yes yeah not and not donor egg not at that point no. no so at that point I was going ahead um I wanted to try using my own eggs I knew the chances were very slim but I really wanted to to give it a go yeah uh so at that point yeah I was looking at doing IVF using my own eggs and donor sperm I went through that twice how yeah. was that oh I mean it was it was really tough. I think it it was I found it particularly tough because it took a long time because the clinic that I was at uh, they they're one of the clinics that really goes in for reproductive uh, immunology treatment so I'd had all my immune levels tested and I'd had some issues identified there. So a lot of that what was about a sort of 18 month process a lot of that was Um, testing and treating these immune levels and waiting for them to get to the right point to Mm. then uh, for treatment to take place so I think that was yeah it just took a long took a long time there was a lot of waiting (laughs) I mean there's a lot of waiting in in this sort of process anyway but this (laughs) waiting is like extreme waiting basically (laughs) like the majority of oh no oh yeah always waiting for something um so when you're going through all this, did you meet other people who were kind of in the same scenario or did you feel like you were quite isolated in um, that? Or? Certainly to begin with, I felt very alone in it, um, going through the cycles of egg collection for egg freezing. And I think that that first round of IVF that I did, um, I yeah, I felt quite alone in that. I had the support of my friends and family and um, people I work with but actually going through it day to day yeah Mm. I I felt pretty alone in that and then that changed um, the second time I went through IVF I had connected myself to quite a lot more people who were in similar boats so uh, I'd begun to post on Instagram and had connected with lots of people on Instagram like you Mm -hmm. um, who were 
trying to conceive, going through fertility treatment. So that was a real source of support. And I also got in touch with the Donor Conception Network and went to a few of their meetups for women who were single and either thinking about or trying for a, a baby by themselves. And um, that was particularly useful because I then found people who were in yeah. pretty much exactly the same situation as me. And uh, so certainly the last year, uh, I felt yeah very much more mm. connected to people who, who who get it and who who are going through similar things themselves, and that's been great. Obviously, we talk a lot about what not to say. I talk about mm. a lot about what not yeah, to say. Yeah. But I was wondering, like from your perspective, do mm. you get stuff? I I I'm gonna take a shot and say, do you even get stuff from people within the community who say? Things that might be difficult or um, hard to hear from that point of view. Yeah, a, a little bit. Um, I guess there's sort of two sides, and I know you've looked at it from from these sides as well. You looked at in the professional and the medical community things yeah. that things that are said. Yeah, and I've I think on the whole the the clinics and the people that I've interacted with on that side have been very very good. But you do occasionally get I'll be referred to as missus and they'll call me in as, as missus and oh, you have to say no I'm not there's no partner or they'll ask for my partner's details or they'll tell me when the partner needs to come in to give his sperm sample and I'm like no no there's no <laughs> there is no <laughs> there is no partner um does it annoy you every time I think it would oh. annoy me but it's, yeah, it does actually. Yeah. It does, and 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 sometimes I'm, you know, what it's like. It's sometimes you're particularly sensitive to mm. those things, and sometimes you are able to to brush them off. It does just feel like, you know, what you've got my notes in front of you. Just check yeah, them before read you them. <laughs> <laughs> read them. On the sort of more personal side of it, I think a lot of the comments, and I've I've seen the things that you you posted about this. A lot of the comments are very similar. The one that I've had several times that really gets me is the have you thought about adoption? Oh, God. Or why don't you just adopt? Yeah. And that one I really have to bite my tongue on and, and, and remind myself that the person saying it is, is saying it with with goodwill. But I'm a bit like, do you think I've been thinking about fertility for the last few years and not not thought about not that? that? <laughs> so, <laughs> it's it's that never occurred to me. And I think the thing that really bugs me about it is... is as we all know, you, you don't just adopt it. You, you don't just go and pick out a child, pick out a baby. It's not necessarily an easier route to go down than, than another route. And, um, and also it's not just the, the responsibility or, or the, the, the opportunity of people who are struggling to conceive to adopt. So I, I tend to want to just ask the well, no, I'm, I'm not just adopting, but you could. Yeah. <laughs> Have you thought about it? I think what used to wind me up about it was that I just thought, well, wait, hang on a minute, I'm like deep in the midst of this yes, really difficult I process. Like, like, I'm trying to have a baby right I'm now. Not, like, you yeah, know I'm like, trying to have a baby. I'm not there yet. Like my brain is not yeah. there. My brain is here. My brain is like grieving the loss of a exactly. failed cycle or it's trying yeah. to work out how I'm going to get through the next week or something yeah. and it's like to, to kind of dive in with that suggestion mm. is just to completely like bulldoze over, yeah. over everything yeah. that you're going through yeah and again 
often said with such goodwill mm. and, and well-meaning, et cetera, et cetera. But mm. we know this, and it's it's just about trying to mm. wave the flag a little bit, yeah. Yeah. you know, so. wider and just and just be like, yeah, but mm. still, even if you're well-meaning, mm. <laughs> can you also mm. educate yourself, please? Mm. Like, mm. Yeah. I think we met because you came to my first mm. ever event, didn't you? Yes, I And, did. you know, meeting people, going through it, with a different perspective is so important do you find that you're represented well enough like within the fertility world like have you been to the fertility show or anything I haven't been to that actually no I've always happened to be away when that's been on I'd love to go I think on the one hand I sometimes feel very kind of zeitgeisty Very cool to be. <laughs> so <laughs> to have a baby. I know, I know. I'm going to look back on sort of this pioneer paving the way for, for other women. So sometimes it does feel like that. Like when, when I'm connected to other women who are in the same position and, and we do feel a bit like, oh, look at us go. We're, we're doing this, this, this amazing thing. Um, but, but yeah, on the other hand, I think, as I said, the, the there are lots of different types of people trying to trying to have babies or, or struggling to conceive and um but most people are in couples and most people are in heterosexual couples but there are lots of other people in in different circumstances and I think it's as you've said it, it is really helpful to to show that and to uncover that and I think I've found um I'm not only a woman trying to have a baby by herself, but also a woman struggling with with that and and having to go through, uh, yeah, to to take a different route and to to have fertility treatment. I mean, most women trying to have a baby with by themselves have got some sort of <laughs> intervention. But <laughs> yeah, that would be impressive. Yeah, <laughs> we haven't quite worked out how to reproduce solely by ourselves yet. Um, but uh, but yeah, I've I've struggled with infertility, and ultimately that's led to me. Uh, going down a path which is about not only one donor, a sperm donor, but also um, an egg donor. So when I've tra- when I've been finding people who are in similar positions, that pool of people is getting <laughs> kind of smaller, gets smaller and smaller. Um, and uh, yes, yeah, so I actually feel very fortunate that that there are people I know who I'm who I'm friends with and that I've met who who are in in a very similar position to me because that's really helpful. Even now as I'm in the midst of, of trying for a baby and, and hopefully getting very close to, to having this double donor treatment, even now I, I catch myself thinking, oh, is this, is this right? Am I okay with this? Is this the right thing to do? Uh, or feeling a bit sad about it and, and feeling sad that, that this was the option that, um, that I took. So it's complicated, isn't it? You, you feel all sorts of things about it at different times and um, I think most recently the the thing that uh, that I struggled with was this. I thought a lot about my feelings about double donation and using an egg donor and having a baby by myself and um, and I'd kind of accepted all the feelings that I had about it. And then I think I mentioned in, in a post that I wrote that I'd had my donor implications counselling for using an egg donor. And that threw up all of these other questions that I'd given some thought to, but that really stirred up these emotions and feelings in me, and this this, this um, concern that 
about whether what I was doing was, was, was for the right reasons, whether I was selfish in creating a child this way and how a child might feel differently having been conceived through double donation as opposed to single donation and all those sorts of things. And um, that's, that's been challenging in the last couple of weeks, actually just revisiting those, those thoughts and trying to make sense of them. So complicated because mm. not only are you trying to deal with your own, like grappling with your own process of accepting what's going on and making peace with it and being brave enough to do it, but you also then have to think about somebody who hopefully you're going to be bringing into the mm. world and how they're going to feel in like 10, 20 yeah. years time. Yeah, which which is impossible. <laughs> um, it's... But yeah, that 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 is the, the process of it. Um, and I think, I mean all parents think about their future child and, 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 and I'm sure worry about being parents, about being good parents and being able to give a child everything they need. But I think there is that extra layer of um, complexity in, in a situation like mine where you do really interrogate the, yeah, the reasons of, for, for doing what you're doing and um, whether it's, yeah, whether it's the right thing to do. I really hope it is because oh, I'm, I'm on gosh. this path now. Yeah, so. no, absolutely. I mean, I totally get that you have to go through this and you have to really understand it, but I, I hate that you would even consider it to be a selfish thing to do. I think that it's it's such a lot to have to worry about whether mm. or not what you're doing is, is selfish, like mm. on top of how hard it is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's incredibly yeah. difficult. Well, I think, I mean... Ultimately, most people make the choice to have a child, yeah. and that, that is their choice, and, and, and you could describe that as selfish, as inherently selfish, this will to, to, to have a baby, so I don't think it's any different, really, from most other No, I'm very glad you've come to that conclusion. <laughs> um, how, do you, how do you keep going to this? Who is your support system? Do you have a counsellor? Is there something like, I mean, obviously, this is the Life Raft mm. podcast, what's in your Life Raft? making those connections with people who are in similar circumstances has been really important so the uh, connections I've made through Instagram have been hugely important to me the friends that I've made through the donor conception network really really important Uh, outside of that as I said my friends and family have been great my sister especially has come to appointments with me and been there for embryo transfers and things like that so that's been um, that's been really really helpful my work have been amazing. I'm very fortunate to to work in a company where I know our founders very well. I've worked with them for a long time. They know what I'm doing and just have been brilliant. So that's, that's, that's so great to hear. Oh, I know. And we I'm should big up really, the company if you are supporting. Really, really fortunate. Yeah. Um, and yes, I, I see a counsellor quite regularly. I've I've done that through through the last couple of years because I find having somebody who's not at all involved, who's totally objective, who can help me work through the complexities of some of the decisions that I'm making and the questions that I'm asking myself and the disappointments that happen along the way. Um, that I've found to be really, really, really useful. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, Do you nice. have anything on a kind of day-to-day, but like your flat is gorgeous. Oh, you thanks. clearly do take, <laughs> like you, you take pride in your house and yeah. your tidy and you're I mean I just feel like all these little things actually help with managing yes stuff yeah I I think so it's it's important for me to feel like I have a a calm space where I can just come home to and and enjoy being in um 
so yeah that's really important to me I've done quite a bit of yoga that's really helpful because for me that feels like a sort of meditation so you are hope, hoping to go through treatment within mm. the next um few weeks you're kind of hopefully, waiting hopefully yes I know it's been really complex, hasn't it? With various <sighs> things falling through or something. Just... I mean, there's just like, oh, so I know, annoying for I you. Know. It's, so, so I went through the, the process of being matched with a donor. There's different ways that you might um, might go down the double donor route. But for me, I uh, signed up with an organisation who would match me to an altruistic donor. So that match happened, waited for, I think it was three or four months, and then the match happened in the spring. And then there's a waiting period, of course, uh, where the donor goes through some assessments and some um, medical tests, all that sort of thing. And so we're at the point now where that has happened and we're waiting for her to be at the point where she's ready to, to have the treatment, which would then mean I would have my side of it, the, the transfer, fairly soon after that. But it's never an exact science, this stuff, so... <laughs> it's it is amazing. Yeah. And, I mean, I know it's like so not the choice that you would make but it's amazing isn't it it's it's really amazing I mean I feel so grateful that this is even an option because 10 years ago it it wasn't which is really not very long ago really recently um so it is an option and it is possible and there are women out there who are who are doing this amazingly generous thing for to help other women to help other families um, so yeah, it, it, it is utterly the science of it is amazing. The, the sort of the human nature of it is amazing. And I suppose in a way, it's kind of leaning into all of that side of it, isn't it? Mm. To find the 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 joy in it, I suppose. Oh yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Find find the good stuff because otherwise yeah. it'd be really hard to just. And and there is there is a lot of good stuff, and I noticed that particularly when I was going through. Um, I had to re-choose a sperm donor and so I was going through that process again of looking at profiles and and uh, when I looked at my egg donor profile as well I was reminded of this you sort of you read the profiles and and they say oh, I'm a blood donor and I give to charity and I support and you think oh my goodness is this this person's so good <laughs> putting me to shame and you think well of course they are because they're a they're a donor they're they're about as generous as, as it gets these are brilliant people um and that's a lovely thing to to know and a lot of what I've thought about when I've been making these decisions is well what what do I what do I tell a child in the future hopefully what what's the story that I get to tell this child about how they came to be and so knowing that their donors were those sorts of people um I think makes the telling of that story all the more joyful to be able to say to a child you're here because I really really wanted you but because these two amazing people uh, did this brilliant thing as well is is rather lovely oh I'm tearing yeah, up over know, right? <laughs> That's such an amazing way to look at it and Mm. such a gorgeous vision for the future as well. And I think also there's something, there's something quite exciting about, there's always two sides to this sort of thing and and, and as as difficult as I found it to let go of this idea of having a baby that would be genetically mine and genetically linked to, to my family there is something kind of exciting about the prospect of a child that isn't at all genetically linked to you. I mean, 
epigenetics aside and, and the, all of the, the, the thoughts around that. But to have a baby that, um, yeah, it, it, it'll be so interesting to see what, yeah, what you're going to get. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. To, I to sort of that. try and see, well, what, what characteristics might they, they have that are similar to mine or, or completely different? And, yeah. Totally. And I guess if you think about... You know, there's that saying, which is quite cheesy, isn't it? <laughs> like, that your friends are the family that you choose, mm. or whatever. So I mm-hmm. suppose, in a way, this is like the family that you choose. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. <laughs> but, you know, like, your, some of your friends, I mean, your best yeah. friends that you, you gather around mm-hmm. you in your life and that stay with you throughout your life, I mean, they they are like family. Yeah. They are like family, and it, it doesn't matter. There's no genetic no, not connection. At all. It's not just at all. that they're people that are in your life yeah. and mean so much to you. And I think um, I I've known for a long time that it is it is perfectly possible to love a child that is nothing to do with you genetically. I've got wonderful godchildren that I adore, and and I think of them and I think, do you know what? If someone had just handed me one of those <laughs> and said, "This is your baby," God, <laughs> I'd have been delighted. Not, not a lot easier, wouldn't it? <laughs> less expensive <laughs> how are you coping with the financial aspect because i thought oh, we I don't talk about, about it okay we don't talk about it so i'm like i'm really interested oh, in money this year i spoke about it quite a lot a few yeah, months ago and like, yeah. i do feel like we just don't talk about the money side of things enough no um are you happy to talk about yeah that? no i don't mind talking how, about how, how it i mean manage? i mean it's so I much think it, yeah it is and and it the the, the 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 longer the journey the more expensive it becomes and and um i think i i was fortunate in that i had some savings that i could draw on and i had the very generous help from my parents as well um so so far i've been able to to cope with the the expense of it and i mean i have pretty much exhausted my savings so how I'm gonna how I'm gonna raise a child I've no idea <laughs> better keep my job um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah it's 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 difficult it's um it, it's hard I'm, I think I'm, I'm I'm fortunate that I haven't had to to get into debt um but I mean who knows you, the, the thing is you don't know how long it's going to take mm. you don't know how long it's, it's going to take or how much it's going to cost mm. when you when you start on this this sort of thing and 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 I very much hope that this part of the journey is reaching a, a conclusion, um, but it but it might not. And how I would cope and how I would fund beyond this point, I don't know at the moment. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's 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 really expensive doing this. And um, how much have you spent so far? Do you know? Oh goodness, um, is that a horrible question? Oh, <laughs> I think it's about. Let me think. It's at least thirty thousand pounds. Yeah, probably more. Between thirty and forty. Oh, Actually definitely closer to forty. <laughs> <laughs> when I think about Yeah, yeah. God, yeah. It's a lot of money. For anyone's listening who is fertile and who has children without paying. Yeah. <laughs> Very lucky. <laughs> yeah. I started the stalk and I because I just was so passionate about not wanting any other woman to feel alone going through what they were going through. And I thought if I can just help one person even 
that say, oh yes, that's exactly the situation I am, then it would be beneficial. And actually I shared my story soon after I'd had my daughter and was overwhelmed by the number of women who contacted me saying, that's exactly the position I'm in. I'm so happy to hear that I'm not the only one. And it seems that there was a lot of people in the same position, but they perhaps weren't all talking about it. So that was the main reason for starting it. So I have been a life coach for about six years. So was doing, funnily enough, the audience was quite similar because found myself coaching women who maybe just felt a bit lost. They were like, you know, I don't know what to do. Maybe I haven't met the right person. I'm not in the right career. I want children. I haven't got them. So similar sort of demographic, but a bit more general. And then I thought, you know what, I'm just going to specialize and focus in on this particular demographic because I'm so passionate about it and I really feel like I can help people with it. Is it growing? Because it seems that way to me. Are there more and more single women embarking on it by themselves massively so I think it helps that there is more in the media about it now and there's more there seems to be more positive press about it the HFEA report from 2017 shows an increase we haven't seen the numbers from 2018 but I it, it has to be another increase because of the amount of um, people, at least that I'm speaking to, who are going through it. So when I speak to the clinics, they definitely say they're seeing an increase. And just personally, the amount of people who are contacting me is, is, is massively increasing. So I can only see it getting more. Um, unfortunately, because it is so hard to date in your 30s and with this whole thing about wanting a baby, clouding stuff as well I, I just think that's going to get more and more over time what I love about you Mel is how positive you are about this whole experience because as you say on your website I know you said it, you know you would have loved to have met someone and done it the traditional way and you know decided on names for your kids with your husband but it didn't happen like that but I love the way that you look at things now because it's you you seem to have reached a level of just real acceptance with what has happened in your life and just you know sheer gratitude for the gorgeous daughter that you you have been able to have so talk to me about your journey yeah and I think it's really important to say that I had to work through that because some people think that maybe I just always felt like that and I absolutely haven't and I think that's really important for people to understand because it is a bit of a journey and coming to terms with it so I feel like there's a couple of things um I for ages, I kept on thinking, I'll just give it six more months. I'll, I'm sure I'm going to meet someone. It has to happen. And six more months became years. And then I was like, I just haven't got six more months to give it. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm going to do this because the fear of missing out on being a mum altogether became too great. So that's what made me decide. Then when I'd made the decision... I thought, right, how am I now going to own this decision? Because I want to be taking control of the decision, not being a victim or something that's happening to me. And so I just thought through all the things that I was worried about and the things that were making me anxious and what I needed to do to you know, to, to reassure myself about those different things. And I think there's so many things that you can do 
to reframe stuff. And, and the biggest problem for the, I would say 95% of the women that I speak to is they had an idea about how their life was going to be. And the idea was going to be that they met somebody, they got married and they had a child in a loving, supportive relationship. And you have to just let go of that idea and rewrite the reality of how it's going to happen equally positively, but just different. And so I definitely had to go through that process, but the, the more I go through it, you know, the, the easier it is for me. And speaking to other people in the same position, they're like, yes, that's exactly how I feel. And it's so nice when you speak to people and they feel exactly the same and they get it, they feel so reassured that it's normal. Um, so I think I let go of the idea of how it was going to be and started to really work towards the new idea of how it was going to be. And then just really surrounding myself by awesome people who can help me and support me and be in my extended family. Um, and when you reach out, I think when you're quite independent and especially when you've done something like this on your own, you feel like you need to have it all figured out yourself. And the more I realize that I don't need to have it all figured out myself and I can ask for help and people want to be part of it, the easier it is because it just feels like you've got a really big, lovely extended family who are all looking out for you and being part of it with you. Really. I don't think there's really very many people doing what you're doing, is there, Mel? No, not really. And that, what I would really like to do is try to reassure people earlier. So if I would have had someone to speak to when I was 30, I would have said, okay, there's different things I can do. Um, so I could have done a fertility MOT. Maybe I would have considered freezing my eggs and I would have known that there was an option to do things on my own and, and understood a bit more about it. Maybe that would have taken a bit of pressure off and I would have been a bit more relaxed because I feel like I wasn't my best self when I was dating. As this clock started really ticking, you start to become very anxious and it's very difficult to do have a good date when you've got all this pressure on you so I think um, educating people earlier about what their options are and trying to take some of that pressure off might also help people feel more um, you know in control of what might happen later on and, and therefore may help them meet someone anyway. That is such a brilliant way round of looking at it, isn't it? And it's kind of, you're not saying that you have to have everything figured out in order to have a good day. You're just saying you're going to be in a much better frame of mind yeah. if you've taken some steps to kind of securing or, or you know, potentially making some way towards security yeah e even if it's only a mindset and just knowing um that it will be okay um because there's a lot of questions to say does society put pressure on you and personally for me i society didn't put any pressure on me i put pressure on myself because of biology so i really wanted to be a mum i would love to meet a guy to do that with um and you know there's only a certain amount of time you have to do that you know honestly talking about it so the pressure came from me feeling like i was fearful of missing out yeah. um and it's very difficult to operate well when you're under that sort of pressure so um yeah, yeah that's what i'm trying to sort of help people with in the earlier stages to say don't worry there are different options for you yeah I think support is a really interesting one um, when you're talking uh, to single women. And I talk a lot about this on one of the courses I run going solo because um, 
you do need people to support you but what you find is I'm a massive oversharer anyway um, and I definitely overshared when I was going through it originally to the point where everybody knew I had been for my um, transfer so two weeks later they all are like so how you know they want to know what the result was um, and actually although I am an oversharer positive or negative I didn't feel like I wanted to tell people what the result was in in two weeks I wanted longer but I told everybody that it was happening so um it's really finding that balance in who you confide in what support you need from people and how many people to tell what when um but yeah having amazing people around you is is definitely makes it so much easier what I found is telling people that you were doing it and sharing it with them, especially so it wasn't a complete shock to people because I'm single. I didn't want people to suddenly be like, you're pregnant, but you're single. Um, so it's sort of telling them that this was a path I was going down, but not necessarily telling them dates and specifics. And um, I think that's the main learning I had so that um, people weren't surprised when I told them I was pregnant, but at the same time, they weren't hassling me all the time out of love and support but that's not what you necessarily need at that time how did you reach that place of acceptance how did you how did you do it how did you let go of the imagined life that you're going to lead so I have um, a thing called the baby calculator and it's something I think so many women have done which says um, I split up from a long-term partner when I was 29 and I thought okay well 29 you know if I meet someone in a year I was a little bit naive at that point about how easy that might be if I meet someone in a year um, you know date them for two years um, try for children for six months you know I'll still be well in the sort of age range so it'll be fine and then when I came to the final decision I was like if I go out tonight and meet someone and get pregnant tonight, I'm still gonna be on the borderline of the age where I'm worried you know, about my fertility. Um, and it was then where I was like, there is no more time, there's no more six months, I'm doing it. Um, and then for me, when I've made a decision, it's like, right, how can I make this decision the best decision I've made? How, what are all the things that I'm anxious about? How can I solve them? So I was anxious that I, um, what would people think of me? Um, so I started to talk to people about it and then actually got massively reassured because people were like, that's amazing. Um, so the vast majority of people um, were very positive about it, and I thought okay this isn't an issue and then my next issue was um, you know who was going to come to the birth um, with me and so then I asked my mum she said yes so it's almost like you get all of the things you're worried about and then you work through them one by one until you've got a solution to them or until you can sort of reframe them in your mind so that they're not they, you know, they're not as big an issue anymore. And I just kept on um, doing that. And then the other thing I think is when you actually have a baby, I think a lot of that goes out the window anyway. You know, it's stuff that you were worried about before, which isn't really relevant anymore at that time. Another thing that I talk about with the women who come on my course is that you're worried about 
becoming a solo mum. And that is a huge topic. And the worries in that can range from so many different things and just figuring out what it is really you're worried about. Um, just getting those thoughts out of your mind and putting them on paper, journaling them, writing them down, that can just really help. Um, because like you say, otherwise it just gets so big and you're not really sure what you're worried about apart from this big topic. So breaking it down definitely is, um, is helpful. To try to help people, I said to them, let me give you an example of some of the things I was worried about and read out a whole list, which is an extract from my journal that I was writing. And, and it's a myth. People are like, yes, every single one of them. That's what I've worried about. But they feel better having seen the list um because i thought oh is this going to be harder for people am i going to add worries to them and they were like this is brilliant first of all i now feel like it's normal to be worried about that because someone else has said they were worried about it and second of all now i've seen it i can start thinking yes that is what i'm worried about let me try and solve it and it makes it much easier to get over it so yeah it's a really interesting yeah so much less scary when it's just it's like saying it's like voldemort isn't it exactly <laughs> say the word it's way more scary just say it and talk about exactly. it so much easier. Um, let's talk about what's come out in the news this week. So there was an article in the Sunday Times. It said it was everywhere actually in all the papers. Yeah. <laughs> and basically it was it was an article about the NHS um, cutting down funding and particularly cutting it down for single women. But I think the outrageous part of it really was the research bit which said some really really shockingly outdated generalized stuff about single women being a burden to society and they are generally poorer and therefore more, it's more difficult I mean talk to me about that Mel How <laughs> I mean where do we start so um yes it was shocking um because I don't know where they were basing their research on that would be my main thing um so what there, there has been some research done, but it is limited on solo mums. And I think what the research says is that um, it's a very different demographic, um, or there are very dim different demographics between um, single parents. Um, and research hasn't been done in a great extent into solo mums. So, so I don't know where they were getting this research from. It didn't seem to be sort of you know linked to any study um if you are going down the route of solo motherhood um i coach people who are doing this and i've spoken to many many women who are considering it and it is very well thought through for the vast majority of people they spend years quite a lot of people considering if it's the right path to go down it's very well researched um, you know you do have to fund the treatment yourself because um, if it's not to do with a fertility issue it's to do with a lack of sperm so you know people have to save and pay for that treatment um, so I think that saying if you have a fertility issue, they won't pay for the treatment. I don't know why it would be treated any differently to anyone else with a fertility issue. So solo mums aren't asking the NHS to pay you know, for treatments where there's no fertility issues, it's where there's an identified fertility issue. So if you have been trying um, in different methods and it hasn't worked, then, you know, 
I feel like you should just be treated like anybody else. And to say that it's, I think, quote, a burden on society, you know, based on what? So um, many solo women um, that I speak to have got brilliant support networks around them. They make sure their children are being brought up with great role models. There are men in their lives, you know, uncles, granddads, friends. Um, so yeah i feel like it was just really disappointing because it doesn't seem to be based on any specific research and it was quite misleading and um yeah i think the research that has been done on solo mums tells quite a different story um so yeah disappointing and um a bit sensationalist headlines it seemed unfortunately yeah. but the the counter to that is there has been a lot of positive uh, pieces in the press recently as well so um, that one was un unfortunate but I think there have been you know Natalie and Bruley has um, shared her story which I think has helped uh, people feel more comfortable with their story and then there's been a lot more positive pieces uh, in the media which I think is has been helpful yeah and that's that's what we have to keep exactly yeah these conversations going and helping people not feel like they're a burden on society and yeah good and I love how you know you you and I use similar language I think in terms of you know owning our stories empowering people and changing and reframing you know and it's so so important to get that narrative out there as well because I think that's missing so much of the time in mainstream media reporting on fertility issues and it just kind of compounds the whole you know this is so hard experience which of course it is it's already you know we don't we don't need everyone else piling on like how hard it is <laughs> on top exactly you need you need the other side which is yeah and i think women uh, single women don't want to be put in a oh poor woman couldn't you know find a partner it's like this is the situation, uh, these are my options, this is the decision I decided to go down, this is how I'm going to make it the best decision for me, for my child, and exactly taking ownership of it um, and, and, and making it a great decision. And not just letting, you know, the one of the saddest conversations I had is I spoke to somebody in their 50s who said to me, I wish I would have met you 10 years ago because my biggest regret in life is is missing out on becoming a mum because I didn't have a partner. I don't want anyone to feel like that when they just don't know what options are available for them. And also one of the things I try to do is help to signpost towards lots of the material that's available. How can you, you know, in donor conception, there's things you can do to make it better for the donor conceived children. Um, re getting involved in the research on that, making sure that, um, you know, we're educating people to do this in the absolute best way to make the best decisions for those future children. Um, I think that's super important as well. So important. So lots of education, empowerment. Yeah. That's where it's at, isn't it? If you are thinking of going down this route or you already are a mum and want to be connected um, to other people, um, I have the Stalk and I Mum Tribe Facebook group. So that is a closed group where we have really open conversations and support people going through the same process. Um, the other thing I do is invite experts into that group. So we have regular Facebook lives from different people talking about different elements of the journey. So it's 
quite educational for people as well. Um, on Instagram, um, the stalk and I with underscores between the words, I, I try on that to do a bit of the day in the life of a solo mum. It's not for everyone because some people who are trying to conceive don't necessarily want to see, um, you know, me with my daughter. But I do it because many women say, I actually do want to get a bit of an insight about what it will be like, because one of the things I'm scared about is, um, will I be able to manage? What will it be like on my own? So I try to do a very balanced view. It's not like all the rosy things. And then the last thing is, well, I have a blog, um, thestalkandi.com, where I also do some group coaching courses. I actually wish I could share more of all of the, the conversations that I that I had with these three women, but I just hope that by giving a snapshot for anyone who might believe the article that came out last week, it's really, really important that we do not generalise and we try to have a grasp of why on earth people would put themselves through IVF treatment to get to become a mother. So thank you for listening again, please, again, as as i say every week please do subscribe like rate everything everything sharing on instagram is great as well because it helps other people to know about it i would love to hear from you too so do get in touch and if there's something you want to know just ask me and definitely come and find me on social media very active on instagram i'm at this is alice rose you can also email me alicerosecreative at gmail.com and i've got loads of resources on my website this is alicerose.com a £10 mindset course, a blog, my campaign videos, and I can't wait to hear from you. Fertility Life Raft is a Quidem Productions podcast.